podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Let's get ready to rumble! Hello all, welcome. It is the Anfield Index Face of Fan Reaction. I am your host, K, as always. Bit of a game to discuss. Something happened there. Something happened 2 0 up, and we saw a little bit of the Liverpool of old. Let's let me introduce you to my panel panel. Unfortunately, no West Brom fan today. Um, which is um Unfortunate, but uh, they're, I mean they're going through some stuff, so it's, it's, it's you know they have some sympathy with me definitely for for that. But uh, who I do have here is obviously my usual co-host Tadiwa. How are you? Yeah, Tadiwa? I'm doing okay, thanks with you. Yeah, all good, all good. And um, I haven't had him on for a while, but it's brilliant to speak to him again from AI USA. It is Justin Wells. How are you? I'm Justin? doing alright. I get to talk about this shower shit again. Yep, <laughs> and I, I see you've been busy on the AI WhatsApp group as well. So there's a couple of things we we definitely going to discuss. Definitely going to get through. I'm integrating them into the sort of very very rough. I don't know if you would if it would be so bold as to call it an agenda, but we we will discuss some of the things you were talking about. But guys, you saw the game. Let's start it off today. Where I'll start with you. The result came and happened. It's a little bit irritating, but the question is. From a lot of fans, do we care, you know, as such? And what's your response to that? Um, it's not ideal, obviously, but um, I think the thing that frustrated me the most is um, when I was looking at the fixtures coming into this this busy schedule we have, we had to pick between West Brom and Stoke which one we were really going to try and focus on a bit more than the other and try and get those three points, and. I was hoping that we were going to do that with uh, this game, seeming as the Stoke game is in between the two Champions League games. Um, usually a team that has the, the mentality we're hoping that this Liverpool team is developing, then they would have put to bed West Brom. And then once that's done, it, it gives them a bit of breathing room for the Stoke game. You can then sort of, that's sort of a freebie now. Um, whereas now the Stoke game could become quite important. Um, depending um, on how the results go um, elsewhere in the league, but it, it's just it's more frustration than anything really. But we do still have that cushion. Um, we still can get through by um, like Chelsea have to basically win all their games, so we still do have that buffer, which which is good. But it was just frustrating in that. Now we still have to kind of focus on that Stoke game, whereas we would have liked to have a bit of a free hit on Roma without having to worry about um, securing fourth place. Yeah, Jess, how do you react to that? Because it was just last week we were thinking about catching Tottenham Hotspur. This week we're worrying about staying in the top four. Is it a bit of a reaction or, I mean, just how pissed are you at that result? Um, I'm pissed at it, but for not for the top four purpose. I still think that, I, I'm, I'm, I have no faith that this Chelsea side is actually good enough to overtake us. They've been pretty crap for the last six months. I don't think that they're all of a sudden going to find a gear that makes them not crap. Uh, you know, crap being a relative term to a top four team. But the part about it that pisses me off is that we saw them beat United the week before at Old Trafford. We should have had more respect for our opponent, which I think would have probably had to see that game out. I think that we thought once we had a 2-0 against this side that's, you know, they're like, oh, they're dead and buried. 
we just kind of shut off. And you can't do that in the Premier League. You do have to play 90 minutes regardless of who you're playing against. And that's what really pisses me off is just uh, it seems like the manager didn't want to play all 90 minutes. It doesn't seem like the, the team wanted to play all 90. Solid's Solid goals went in, and we thought, okay, we've mercy ruled him in the 75th. Just not how it works. Yeah, I know. And it, it's just... It's been a while since we've seen a game like that, and but it just brings back all those memories, especially at the crunch time of you know of the season, and this is a time we're trying to achieve something, you know, and even if that's top four and get there, that that seems alright, but now that's in at least a tiny bit of jeopardy. It's just irritating. It's just really irritating to put ourselves. What do you think about the starting lineup, the approach? How we looked at the game as such, you know, before the game, looking at the starting liners, we changed a couple of people there. I'll keep it with you, Just. What is your reaction to that? I see the the logic in the changing of the starting lineup. The one thing that I'm never going to like, and I understand that Lovren's coming off of a knock, and I understand that he's also still just Dejan Lovren. I hate switching center-back pairings this often. I really, it, it drives me insane. I think, ultimately, the thing we should be looking for with the amount of games we have left, regardless of quiz session, is... Uh, who can we use that's going to be the best pairing we have? Right now, that best pairing is Lovren and uh, Van Dyke. Clavin, for, as, as a, I'm, I'm never, I'm never going to rag on Robner, Robner Clavin because I know what he is. He's a fourth defender, right? He's a guy who we should only see in case of emergency. We don't have the injury <laughs> crisis that necessitates that emergency yet. I'd play the two that, I'd play the two that are your best. If you wanted them, maybe, um, you know, switch, rotate out the fullbacks, which we did today, then I'm okay with that. But, Going with an, but moving Van Dyke across the defense, across the defense, and playing Clavin where Van Dyke usually plays, you've effectively people say you've rotated three of your for back four, but you've actually really just created an entire new back four, which I just don't like. It just doesn't work for consistency sake. I hear, I hear that. That was the big deal, right? I mean, especially when you have the midfield that we have to deal with. It just, you know, th- there's so many changes there, and suddenly you bring in, you know, when rotation happens. When you rotate, we saw this earlier in the season. It was, it, you know, to be like one per function, if you can call it that. You know, it wasn't like it wasn't on mass. I suppose on midfield's a little bit different in that you have a lot of people in there who are sort of okay at the same thing. But when you look at the defense, when you look at up front, like you can't really change that much there. Jurgen Klopp did go and change quite a lot. I wasn't that worried before the game, to be honest. I still thought we had enough to take West Brom down, and it seemed that way, you know, when Salah scored the second. But, I mean, before the game, were you also a little bit worried about the things that Justin was saying, their centre-back options, especially that sort of stuff? Um, yeah, I, I agree with what, what Justin was saying in terms of trying to keep that that centre-back pairing the same. And it also goes with regards to your keeper. And I've, I've mentioned this before. I think I mentioned it on one of Nina's shows. Um, Back in 2010, when the Soccer World Cup was in South Africa, um, I was fortunate enough to watch the France versus, uh, it was Brazil versus Ivory Coast game. I watched it um, with, um, next to me was sort of Zidane, Vieira, and then um, Gerard Houllier. And at halftime, uh, Gerard Houllier was sort of, you know, he was, he was sort of like commanding the conversation. And he was having a conversation on the importance of that that it, he called it sort of like the triangle of the goalkeeper, the center back, and the well, the two center backs and the goalkeeper. And he was saying, there's at, at such a high level of football, and especially at the football that Liverpool's playing at uh, in the Premier League and then also in the Champions League and stuff. That pairing is so crucial in the sense that the players shouldn't have to think about what they're doing. Now, if you saw in in this game against West Brom, you could see if there were a few times when 
Karius was expecting sort of Clavin to come and collect a ball or he was expecting to rush out, but Clavin was, you know, dropping back. So there was quite a lot of hesitation and confusion there. And in that hesitation, I think that's sort of part of what gave West Brom sort of the belief. If, 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 if we still, if we had the confidence at the back, I, I don't think they would have had much fight. Um, so that, that was quite, um, irritating in that he changed it. If Lovren really was as injured as he, as we'd assume that he was, that, okay, he shouldn't start because he was really injured, then I question why he was even brought on as a substitute. You know what I mean? Then why risk him then? If you're gonna, if you're not gonna risk him at the beginning of the game, why risk him at the end of the game where he's coming into a game cold? There's more risk there of getting an injury coming into such a high speed game. Um, so late on when, when, when you're so cold and you're not caught up to the tempo. So, um, I thought, I assumed Klopp, he, he seemed like he had started to learn that, um, or started to use that approach of, I got to keep that triangle as, as constant as possible. But it seems like, I suppose he needed Clavin to get minutes. He needed a few of the players to get minutes. But this is where I was, it brings back my point from earlier in, in, in the podcast where, I would have rather seen that during the Stoke game where it, it's sandwiched in between the two ch- uh, Champions League games. Then you can sort of look to give people minutes after having secured the after having secured the three points against West Brom. You go with your strongest team. Um, we've had a week's break. And then this Champions League, these are the last two games that we have that are going to be midweek. Um, and then when we win, uh, we get to the final speaking confidently. Um, mm-hmm. Obviously, the final, I think it's, it's over the weekend. So effectively, these are the last two games we have where it's going to be, we have two games in a week. So I, I would have assumed the players with the fitness that we have, with Premier coming in, they should have had enough to, to see this game out and still be able to put an effort in against Roma. Um, yeah, so it, it, it's just frustration. Frustration is the key word here. Yeah, yeah, and it led to some some throwbacks to early in the season of when we were just we just had the most notorious reputation for not being able to defend at all. And let's speak about that, Justin, because the whole game, the whole game, it wasn't like Liverpool dominated entirely, akin to what we're used to seeing more recently. Liverpool did have that swagger about them, but I, I'm more inclined to agree with what you were saying. It was more a case of expecting to win and I, I don't think that's a bad thing I think you know it, it is good to have swagger but it's a really bad thing to disrespect your opponent especially when on the day it looks like you don't have that domination as per usual so the entire game goes by and with it being in, in, in a couple of key areas more or less 50 50 we just had you know just a much more intense attack than they did and um, you, you know Van Dijk was doing all right at the back and um, our defense wasn't Especially with crosses and stuff like that, we weren't getting hurt too much. It was more from the fullback positions that we were getting hurt. But even with that, we sort of didn't take them seriously the whole game. And then, you know, you go up to 2-0, which we'll talk about, you know, uh, in in a bit. But go up to 2-0 and then suddenly something happens, a couple of tactical changes, and we were squarely on the back foot. And that's not a thing Liverpool is good at anyway. Yeah, I mean, it's basically some of it is, I think... Klopp thinking that we have the game won and removing our out ball. Like, you know, Mane comes off early. I guess they're managing his chronic load to make sure he's good for 90 minutes against Roma. Salah comes off a little bit 
comes off a little bit later. And you're left with just Bobby Firmino up front. And as good as Bobby Firmino is, the one thing he's not is he's not a pacey outball. He's not a hold-up striker. He's uh, he's at his best when the other team actually probably has the ball and he's allowed to uh, you know wreak havoc. But that's not a team that's going to play out of the back in West Brom. They're going to get the ball wide and they're going to look to cross. And, I mean, I, I think it was Matt Phillips who basically just every single time he seemed to want to take on uh, Moreno, he just got around him and was able to put a ball in. And I guess it's sad like West Brom who, you know, they're going down for a reason, but there's more talent there than most of the other teams in the relegation battle. Uh, they're going down solely because Alan Party took them down. Uh, since they, they played better lately and they're the team that if, if you give them opportunities, they're going to take them, especially particularly with, uh, Jay Rodriguez and Solomon Rondon. Those are two guys who have scored goals in the Premier League and, you know, will continue to do so for mid to bottom table sides for the rest of their careers. So I think taking that lightly really just, it, it just didn't help us. And uh, also, I think the other thing that really killed us was uh, the maddening refereeing decisions. Uh, it was the type of thing where I can't blame us for why we dropped the, the dropped the two points. I mean, I can't, I, I blame us for why we dropped the two points, but the referee gave them every chance to remain in the game. It was, and especially knowing how they we will we'll definitely come to that guy. I need to talk to you about the refereeing decisions and stuff like that because, again, what you're saying, just it's not central to what we, it's just, again, really irritating. And it's happened so many times that it's become a central thing now. And I, I know I sound like a Liverpool fan complaining about the ref, but it, it's only happened, uh, it's only been discussed in this part like a, a, in a few games this season, and it's been happening sort of more and more as we get towards the crunch side, especially as fatigue and that sets in. But Tadiwa, from that perspective, from the defending perspective, looking at it a little bit differently, you know, it was clear that our defense wasn't really up to the task. Like, again, particularly in the fullback position, we saw Phillips, um, especially in the earlier part of the game, go past Marino, sometimes at will, it seemed. Later in the game, Gomez just, you know, I don't know whether it was fatigue or something, but he seemed to implode a little bit. They, they both had good moments, but they both also, you know, they, they weren't... They weren't at the races as such. And I want to talk to you guys a little bit more about rotation and how that affects those positions specifically. But if we focus on our midfield for a little while, it just seems to me that every time there's a little bit of pressure on us, um, and maybe, you know, maybe you can shout at me and say that more recently it hasn't been the case. If we look at the 3-0 Man City, if we look at the Man City game, um, the second leg, etc., it has been better. We have been better at controlling the spaces as such. But here was a team that bullied us. It wasn't trying to go through us. It was trying to go over and it was trying to get on top of us. And it did that. And our midfield was, in particular situations, key situations, just able to be bypassed or dominated. Was it a problem for you defensively? Uh, are you maybe worried about that for the Roma game? Um, I think the midfield concerned me a lot more than sort of the back four did. Because if... Um, maybe I'll, I'll just touch on the back four so that it can give context to what I have to say for the midfield. Yeah. Um, if you look at that back four, for example, Moreno, I think this was his first game. I mean, his second game in 2018. You know what I mean? So there's, there's quite a lot of rust that would have needed to be ironed out during that game. So, and he's coming up against a Phillips that was kind of keen to, to go at him. So it's understandable why he was so rusty today. Then, Clavin as well, he hasn't had many minutes um over, over over the past six months. So that's the same situation. And then I don't know, maybe you could confirm, is Klein injured again? 
Um, but I think he did have a little bit of a setback. That's what I heard. In yeah, I, yeah, I, I, I saw rumors in passing, but I wasn't sure. Um, I never got confirmation on that. But if you if you look at Gomez and you look if you look at the timeline that was given when Gomez was injured um, a couple of weeks ago, he's come back a lot quicker than he was meant to. So I have a feeling they've actually rushed him back. Um, in order to sort of have that cover after Klein, um, if, if, if it gets confirmed that Klein is injured, I think they try to rush Gomez back in order to have that sort of buffer for TAA so he could have a bit of a rest uh, coming up to the, the Roma game. So that's also understandable in, in the game that he had in that he's been rushed back. You could see he's not quite... Um, he wasn't quite on it today. And, and then towards the end of the game... If you've been, if you've rushed back from injury, um, the first thing to go is your, you know, is, is, is your mental side of the game. Like then, then you start making a bit of uh, silly mistakes and stuff like that. And it, it's not like because, um, because of the lack of quality of Gomez or so to speak. Cause if you look at Harry Kane, they rushed him back a bit from, from his injury and you can see his form of late hasn't been that great. He looks a bit off. So it, it does play a factor. Um, but going into the midfield, really, there shouldn't be any excuses in terms of um, all those guys relatively should be fit enough, you know. And then on top of that, they were playing against two midfielders because um, West Brom effectively had uh, two strikers on the pitch. So I was expecting a bit more of a dominant midfield performance from from the likes of Henderson, Molnar and Genie. Um, and it's it's all well and good saying that um yeah they 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 definitely turned it up against man city in that game but if if you're telling me that liverpool are going to be challenging for a a title next season um i think there's a lot that needs to change in terms of the the mentality of that midfield in terms of games against west brom you know at at the hawthorns you need your midfielders to step up because it's going to be quite a, a um, and basically like a, if you were to picture an old English game, you know, quite physical. You you need midfielders that are willing to take that, and then either you you out you play around that physicality with your you know technical abilities, or if you're physical yourself, you then take them you t- you you sort of you know beat them at their own game. But it seemed like our midfielders had that sort of. An, on Twitter, I did say it was like a small club mentality because it looked like our midfield said, well, we've got the big game on Tuesday. So this game, uh, we can kind of coast through it. Whereas if you look at um, championship teams, and it's not just in football, in all sports, if you look at championship teams that are going for not necessarily cup runs, but going for league runs, they know that the, the most important game, and it's quite a cliche, but is the game that's in front of you. See off West Brom, um, in, even in an, in, in, in an emphatic way. And then you move on to Roma. You let the chips lie where, where Roma is. But it seemed like our midfield was sort of like, mm, we can kind of half, you know, you, we don't have to really put all of our effort into this game because I, I definitely don't want to be injured for Roma. You know, they were all looking at each other like, do you want to be injured? Nope. I don't want to be injured. So <laughs> you could see them all passing the ball to each other like, no, you take it because, um, I need to save myself for, for the game on Tuesday. And which it, it, it ends up being counterintuitive because chances are now a lot of those players are going to have to play against Stoke. So you know what I mean? Now you're playing two games where you're going to be, playing at half, you know, half capacity 
Whereas if you had chosen one of those games to play at full capacity, then you move on to the into the Roma game. So uh, once again, and I think it's it's something we've mentioned every week that I, that I've been on here is that uh, obviously the midfield needs to be looked at quite heavily next season. And if if we are going to be you know challenging for the title as as what the you know the trajectory of how we've been progressing is then we need players that don't have that sort of big match mentality in that next week is the big match so this match I'm going to I'm going to be half-hearted you you don't win league titles like that you get top 4 um that way you get cup runs that way um and you can see we we're, we're very much a cup team um over, over Klopp's uh sort of tenure at at Liverpool, we've done pretty well in most of the cups. I think the FA Cup is the only bogey cup for us at the moment. But in terms of cup, getting you know getting the team up for a one-game win this and you're through type of game, then our team is g'd up for it. And with the quality of any team in the Premier League, any team could sort of g up for one game. It's about are you able to do it over an entire season? And I'm not sure if that midfield, from what I saw against West Brom, they just reminded us that there's still that 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 mentality that's floating around which i'm hoping will be addressed if we are going to be challenged if we if we if our plan is to know let's just go for the cups and get top four again then i'm i think the midfield and the defense is fine to do that but i'm pretty sure most people would be saying no we we could challenge for this title and if we are going to be then the mentality of the team needs to be looked at um i don't know if it's maybe maybe you guys could um, take, um, answer this. Do you think maybe it's to do also with, um, the amount of players in our team? How many players in our team have actually won a league title? If we look at it, I think, is it Milner? Um, Milner, I mean, Van Dyke's, Van Dyke's won in Scotland. Okay. Yeah. 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 Celtic, yeah. But, but then uh, that further shows, um, evidence to my point. If you look at the way Milner played yesterday, if you look at the way Van Dyke played yesterday, they wanted to win that game. You know, you could see Van Dyke was getting pretty frustrated with with the the standards that we were showing in that Definitely. game. So you see, those are two guys that have won league. They know what it takes to win a league title. You know, you can't you can't half ass it and expect and expect uh, results. You got to respect each opponent. Um, so maybe that could be something that's a criteria that's looked at as well. Not just bringing in players. But bringing in people that have actually won won a league title, because who who is who is teaching our players, um, you know, week in and week out what to do in these games? Who is also stepping up in these games um, through their experience um, to be able to, you know, to? Sorry, I've been rambling here, but just the final point in that a lot of people talk about um, players have experience. You know, some of the older players, let's say, like for example, oh, Lalana is good because he has experience. All well and good in that, but there's difference between having ex- just experience and having the right type of experience. Like if if I've had experience just because I've, I've played you know 500 games, um, okay, you've got experience of playing games, but you don't you don't know what it's like in a run-in going to to a league title. We saw it in the 13-14 season with Brendan Rodgers' team. That game against Chelsea, all of our players were like, no, we're going to go and we're going to lace Chelsea about. We wanted to beat Chelsea 5-0, an emphatic victory, you know, go on to win the title. Whereas that game, we could have easily, we could have actually drawn that game if, if you if you go back and look at uh, the scope of how things were going there. But there was no one in our team that's actually won a league title to, to, to say to the team, okay, guys, cool it down, like, 
I know we're playing and we're in really good form, but this is how we handle this game. This is how, you know, someone to drag you through the game from previous experiences that they've had. I, I don't know if you guys feel that or you think it can be done without, without that? I think on, it Justin. can be done without that because like, if you look, a lot of teams, the first time they win something, they're doing it with, you know, it, it, sometimes I think it takes learning to win as the as a group, maybe without those experienced heads to win. And I think maybe that's the way you set off, you know, winning a title for the first time. Like an example, I mean, I'm going to go to a different sport, but the, you know, the Golden State Warriors didn't have any, uh, didn't have any champions in them when they won their first title. And now they're the, you know, predominant dynasty in the NBA at the moment. Yeah. Uh, that, that Manchester United team in, uh, you know, that, the, the class of 92, pretty similar. Like, you know, I mean, United had won, uh, one, you know, I think I'd won twice by, at that point, but then, uh, under Ferguson, but then you come through and you see, uh, you know, that, that, great academy class they have and winning winning becomes contagious and a habit i just think it's having the right kind of leadership which i think van dyke is i think to a point henderson's the right kind of leader i i, I just don't know that uh to me for henderson it's not so much the the kind of leadership or the bollocking the same thing with milner it's just the uh can can they produce the same level on the pitch week in and week out worrying about the, and you know just worrying about themselves through a game instead of having to worry about the entire team through a game that's where, that's where I get concerned. Yeah. Yeah, just I, I wanted to pick up that point because one of the things I'm, I, I want to take from what Tadiwa was saying is, you know, if you abstract what he was saying, I, I know, Tadiwa, you're talking about a particular experience, but if I abstract that, and uh, just I'll keep this with you, but looking at our squad, and this speaks directly to this game, it speaks directly to this game, because can we look at our squad and have a comment about the quality that we have in the squad is it correct to judge on this one game and even if it's not on this one game justin do we as you see it right now do we have the squad in place to be able to challenge for like for example the premier league next in year? place now no um i think if we so i think if we have emery jean healthy this game looks different because of our ability to rotate in midfield I think if Joel Matip is healthy, this game looks different because of the ability to use him. Gomez is probably going to play over Klein if he was healthy because he's been playing basically all season. I mean, Trent only won the job in the last month and a half when Gomez was hurt because Gomez seemed to have the upper hand there over Trent. Mm. So, yeah, that that is what it is. But they're both 19-year-olds who are going to make mistakes, and Gomez, you know, Gomez makes mistakes. At least at least the mistakes he made yesterday were different than the mistakes he was making before he was injured. You know, he did have... he. He didn't seem to get caught out on that long diagonal header, right? That's been the mistake he's made previously. He made different mistakes today, which is at mm. least livable. True, true. I mean, yesterday, which is at least livable. But no, I think um, we're short at least probably two bodies in the midfield. We're short. We're definitely short a body up front. I mean, I feel great for Danny Ings that he scored. Um, and I do think that there's a player there and there's a Premier League player there. But I don't want Liverpool to be the club we find that out at because... It's it's just are there enough minutes for him in a team with title aspirations to figure it out? And I, I don't think that there are. Just it, while you're discussing that, you know, you're talking about a, a couple of bodies in midfield, the body up front. What kind of quality do they have to be? Uh, you know, are we talking about squad players? Are we talking about somebody who uh, who starts and and can do different things or specialists? Or I think we're looking about guys who are pushing some of the players we have starting right now to the bench and pushing some of the players that are making our bench. Um, into other European or Premier League sides. I, I think I think it's I think it's a few top end players to make the bench strong, and also mm. you know create much more competition. Now we know we have Navi Keita coming in. We know we probably are going to have to replace Emre Jean. And if you look at the rumors of who we're being linked with, 
it's players like Jorginho or uh, Ruben Neves, right? Like those are those are top quality players who are going to, you know, they're going to create competition for the likes of Milner and Henderson to get games now that they might not be getting next year. Um, and I understand that you know Henderson's a club captain, Milner's a club vice captain, and they both have you know certain functions that they can do and do well, but. I think for them, it's more going to be along the lines of where can I find, where should I be able to find games and where am I going to find games rather than, um, mm. you know, I'm going to start this game, this game, and this game. I think that, I don't think that they're, I don't think that having some of the players we have right now be certain, certain starts is where we need to be in order to win the title. Like I could think of a few guys. Dejan Lovren probably shouldn't be starting for us if we're trying to win a Premier League title. In the midfield, basically, I think Ox is the one who, Ox and Jean, although Jean's gone, Ox and Jean, I think could be part of a, uh, a title winning squ- a title winning squad in the starting 11 but Henderson and Milner I'm not quite as sure that they should be you know 38 game nailed in starters are there and I mean the front 3 obviously we know can cuz they score a lot of goals but we need better depth in the front 3 and we need someone who if you know we need to give Bobby Firmino a day off like we did today steps in and can play Bobby Firmino's position and do his role with minimal drop off and look Ings Ings scored a goal he had a a decent performance, but it's nowhere near what Firmino does to this front three. Mm-hmm. And, and let's move that on to Dira because we can look at the West Brom game in particular and talk about the context, but also the performance of the guys who came in. Uh, I think I'm correct in saying it was just Moreno Gomez and Ings who came in. Clavin. Predominantly Clavin as well. Yeah, but Clavin, you know, as you said earlier, just, I think I missed them out because that's sort of his role. You know, he's, he wasn't, um, he sort of comes in after after a long time, but we can definitely let's keep him in there. Let's talk about Clavin as well. The four of them and the impact that they had to do. Uh, comment on that for me. Um, maybe we could start off with the the easier one in terms of Clavin. In that, um, look, it it is what it is. Um, you, you're not expecting him to be a world beater. He's going to, you know, he he, he should be. You're expecting him to do okay. You know what I mean? Just don't make any mistakes. Pass the ball to the other guys. Let the other people do the work, sort of, so to speak. Um, I did think he was a bit shaky quite, quite a lot today. And that goes back to, to what I was talking about in terms of Carrius and him. They, that, that link was totally off, um, today. And you can imagine it also plays a factor in that Van Dyke was now playing on Carrius's right, whereas he's used to Van Dyke playing on his left. So in those split seconds, um, where, where it's key, um, you, you could imagine that there's times where he has to, he's expecting something to happen and then he has to readjust because actually Van Dyke's on my right hand side. He's actually not on my left hand side. So, um, mm. it was quite difficult for, for that link to happen. And then also how many times has Clavin played with Moreno? So that also is a factor. And, and you could see they were attacking our right-hand side quite a bit because that link was also not there. So, um, and then we can segue sort of onto, to Moreno in that I thought he, hey, look, you can't, you can't beat around the bush. I don't think he had a, a, a good game at all. I, I think he was, he had a pretty shocking game. Um, but as I was saying, he's only had one game in 2018. So it's understandable. Um, some of the criticism in terms of, oh, look, Moreno's out of position again. Look, th- those ones I don't buy. At least give me a, a more credible argument in the sense that he's doing the exact same runs that Robertson's doing, except Robertson's playing with, let's say, Molnar on that, on that left-hand side of the midfield. And he's also playing with Van Dyke 
um, as the left center back. So both Milner and Van Dyke have an appreciation of how to cover when, um, when Robertson bombs forward. Whereas this time when Moreno was bombing forward, Clavin was now having to be the one to cover and he's not necessarily the, you know, the quickest player or necessarily very good when he gets, when he gets drawn out to the channels. And then on top of that, then there was a midfield three that, you know, was playing at 50%. So that space, so to speak, that Moreno was quote unquote, um, out of position, that's usually covered in, 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 a lot of our games where our strongest team is playing. So that argument, I, I think it's a bit harsh to, to lay that one on him. But in terms of his actual performance, he, he got skinned quite a lot of the times. And especially the problem with Moreno is that when he gets tired, then he, he loses his head completely. He has to, be, he, he has to concentrate a lot, you know, with regards to going off his feet and stuff like that. You can sort of see he's talking to himself, uh, you know, as he's defending. So he has to concentrate really, really hard to, to not make those mistakes. And then when it's coming towards the end of the game, you know, your second game in six months, um, then you can see sort of the mental side of it starts to go as soon as the physical side is gone. So it, it wasn't a good showing for him. Can you judge him off one game, his first game back after a while? I don't think you can, I don't think you can judge any of the players coming in off one game. Um, what we can do is sort of go on what we've seen before um, and and hope that they improve because the, it's, it's all that we have for the remainder of the season. So we're going to have to rely on all four of these guys once again at some point this season. So you're just hoping that they learn from these mistakes, they improve, and that they got vital minutes in, uh, under their legs that, that could be useful later on. You never know, Moreno could be useful as sort of like a we we've had those situations where you have Robertson as left back and you have Moreno as sort of the left wing or the false left wing so to speak late on in games let's say we're playing Roma it's late in the game you just bring that extra guy on as as a second cover covering left back because they like to play with three at the back with their wing backs you know what i mean so that could be a factor so i'm just happy he got the minutes in um if we move on to gomez like i said i i have a feeling gomez was rushed back um, way before he needed to have come back. Well, not needed to have come or would have wanted to have come back. I think it was more needs must in that he had to come back because the options were, 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 were quite limited in that position. Um, so once again, he, he had a few clumsy moments. He, as Justin said, I was very happy that he didn't get beat sort of by headers at the far post. He seemed to be concentrating a lot on making sure that didn't happen. So, you you know you take you take the good with the bad you take those positives and you say okay hopefully he's learning he's growing that's good um and then we move on i think Danny Ings was the last one yes um yeah Danny Ings i i was happy in 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 that week we got a game where we got to see Danny Ings as the number 9 so to speak with Salah and Mane on either side of him because a lot of the times when Ings has come in he um especially when he started He's been playing either as a winger or as a deeper forward, or he hasn't been actually been the, the, the direct replacement of Firmino. So I was very interested to see, can he actually do that job as the direct replacement of him? And obviously, a lot of the, the, the quick one-touch passes and stuff like that, it will take time for him to get used to sort of the movement of our front three. 
uh, or the other two and him being the third one. But I thought defensively, he's a willing runner. He, he can do sort of the, the defensive side of what Firmino does. Obviously, in comparison, you know, relatively speaking, Firmino's, um, contribution would be a lot more than, than Danny Ings. I think that's understandable. But in the sense that he's, he's able to close down the spaces in the way that Firmino's able to do it. So defend, on the defensive side of it, I, I was quite happy with him. But on the attacking side of it, um, I think it kind of forced, um, Salah into playing a different role today in that usually Firmino and Mane are the creators. And then Salah is sort of the one that's kind of finished, finishing things off. Whereas today, uh, with Danny Ings, Danny Ings, he's a, fr- he's, he's, he's sort of the striker that's on, on the shoulder of the center back. So he is the one that actually wants to be the one finishing off moves. So you had to see Salah was actually having to drop back a lot deeper and then also playing into the fact that Salah is desperate to win that goal, um, golden boot. So he was also, he had to create a lot more than, than he's used to. So I think Ings would have to work on that side of his game in terms of, um, or either he has to be more accommodating and not be the finisher or the rest of the team has to adjust to him. But in making that decision, how would that actually hamper the way we play our football? Mm. You know what I mean? Then now Salah's having to play a different role. Mane might be having to play a different role or to accommodate Danny Ings. And to be fair, I don't think Danny Ings is at the level where we can afford, you know, Salah and Mane to be changing their roles. We need someone in there that's complementing them, not necessarily having to force them to change their roles. Yeah, Justin, let's approach that a, a slightly different way. If we look at those new guys that came in, um, it, it's difficult in some cases, but we saw early in the season we had a lot more rotation. I think that was for load management more than anything else and guarding against fatigue and injury and that sort of stuff. But even then, we saw, like for example, in the left-back position, when we had two left-backs available, what we had was early in the season sort of Moreno starting, doing relatively well, and Robertson would get a game here and sort of a game there. We read in the papers he was getting a little bit frustrated, the lack of chances, and you know he, want, he really wanted to get the team completely normal. That's all cool. And then Moreno gets injured, Robertson comes back, makes that left-back position his own. Moreno comes back, he's ready, he's back from injury, but doesn't really get much of a game or, you know, here or there or anything like that. It's similar to what Robert had earlier, uh, Robertson had earlier in the season. You have the situation on the right back where perhaps injuries are stopping you from being able to rotate as you want. But then in the forward positions, you have those three and then maybe it's more adequate to say like a misfit, maybe in terms of experience or, um, injury or fatigue level or whatever like that injury, you know, um, uh, function when you have the the front three not really being able to be replaced by anything else. Do you think that if we look at the rotation as a whole, that it's sort of it, it's working for Liverpool this season? Does Jurgen Klopp need to change his approach to to rotation to perhaps not just to guard against load and injury, but for match sharpness to get people involved more to make to be able to evaluate people in a much less um, like what can we say, urgent situation because then you have the opportunity to change them. Or do you think it's a matter of, for example, just trust? Like he's, he, he might be looking at Moreno and saying, I actually don't trust you for this role. I, I, you know, he's looking at Danny Ings or Slunky and going, I, I don't trust you yet either physically or experience-wise or function-wise, you know? Uh, how do you So see I see it basically, if you look at when we needed to rotate, window hadn't closed yet. We still have Coutinho and Sturge, right? So that's two more bodies, particular in attack particularly in attack, 
who are talented. Now, obviously, Sturridge, you know, there's the fact that he's, uh, you know, ne- he's never going to be consistently fit, right? We, we, but we know that. But today, for instance, would have been, w- would you feel more confident with a Sturridge who, by the way, we know how to keep healthy and West Brom def- and Alan Pardew definitely did not coming in to play instead of Danny Ings? Like, and I'm talking obviously before the match, not during the match, because obviously Ings, yeah, because obviously Ings Ings scores, he puts in very good (laughs) defensive work. And, you know, the one thing that Tadiwa didn't mention, and this is the one thing that obviously, and obviously it was very noticeable that Salah was definitely trying to be more of a creator, is nobody in our front three was going to look good, was going to look like we were going to be able to get any sort of flowing passing going, because that pitch was just barren. It was so dry that the ball wasn't going to move. Yeah. So, uh, you know that that is that was something to cope with. But um, I just think that also having Coutinho in those situations allows you to do a lot more. Would allowed us to do a lot more as well. Um, I just think it was a matter of having more bodies who were useful in December than we have now in in uh, you know late April, early May, which is pretty much how it works every single season anyway. Uh, your your rotations shorten up as you get towards the end of a season, and you do have players who are going to go out injured for the rest of the season. A la, you know, Lalana, Matip, and Jean. A lot like this is a game where having Lalana, Lalana, and Matip changes the complexion of it in midfield because we can rotate basically to an entirely new midfield and allowing this one to go all out without having to think of the fact that two from three are going to have to play in the Champions League on Tuesday. Uh, you know, th- these are all things that are coming in that, you know, are factors that need to be considered. But I still think we had enough squad depth to dispatch this side. Um, I just think that there's certain certain things that uh, didn't work, like Moreno not having like Moreno wasn't bad at the beginning of the season. I know there's always gonna be a segment of Liverpool support that's not going to trust him because of the fact of uh, his because of his history at Liverpool. But he wasn't bad at the start of the season. But it's it's a tall order to ask someone to come in. You've played one game. You've played one game since March. Have ha- have at this one. Like it, it, you, I get that players have to come in and take their chances. But if you have no if you have no game time, it, it does become very difficult to do. I'll keep it with you, Justin. I want to move from squad management to maybe game management here because the other thing that happened, as you mentioned, maybe you can elaborate a bit more for us on that, but. It just seemed like taking out uh, our outballs on, particularly Mane, who does, who, who is one of the players in our team who can put their foot on the ball, be able to change direction a little bit, get past the play, just control things a little bit more. You know, not not ideal. He's a bit too far off the pitch to to control everything, but at least help the midfield a little bit in that respect. We saw him early in the game coming back into midfield to be able to do something like that in a more offensive role. I will grant you, but we just needed somebody to control the game at a particular time, and then. This thing of putting on three central defenders at one time to have a, a sort of three at the back for 10 minutes to go. I'm not a big fan of this. Uh, you know, I, especially when you have somebody like Lovren, who's been first choice after Matip got injured. You know, he's there. He, he knows his role. He's coming as a substitute into a, into a place where he wants to feel comfortable doing the things that he wants to do. And he's, you know, then perhaps the roles get confused between him and Clavin, who's supposed to be the, I don't know what you'd call it, more senior player in the game, if I could put it that way. I just, I'm not a big fan of it, and we don't seem to do it really well. It it just seems to invite pressure onto us, and especially if you have a team like West Brom, who's very good from these set pieces, and the ref, who we will discuss just now, giving all these 
fouls and free kicks and stuff. They're having so many chances late in the game. It just felt so, you know, it it, it oh, almost it, felt desperate. So it's my biggest anyway, problem. It's my agree. biggest problem with the game. It's up 2-0 against West Brom where the system has effectively kept West Brom from really having many chances. Like they had they had a few chances, but they were mostly half chances that uh, they finally opened up once we went to a back three because we had no way of getting the ball up the pitch and we had no pace on the pitch. So the only pace we had was at left back in Moreno and if you want, probably the most progressive substitution we could have made instead of changing uh setup entirely when we were on to remove Sala would have been bringing Andy Robertson on and telling Alberto Moreno that you're the out ball. We, we just can't, we just can't function pacelessly, right? Uh That's, we saw, we saw that this, that was mm-hmm. the problem with the side that Klopp inherited was a tremendous lack of pace. So I, I, I didn't get the substitutions because that's basically saying we're up 2-0, but now we're just going to stand here and get into a brawl with you. West Brom's a team that likes a brawl. Like, that's what they do well. So why play their game? Mm. Just keep playing your game. Even if it's, even if you have to make some sort of tactical switch that's not necessarily a substitution that you want to make, you don't want to make, don't change the tactics that radically because that is where you invite another team on to, uh, to, you know, get themselves back into the game. And and that's what we did. We gave him an indication that, hey, we're going to play into your hands now for the next 15 minutes. Let's see what you can do. Mm, mm, mm. Yeah, I'm going to switch things up here today. Before we move on to looking at the ref and um, and some of Klopp's more colorful comments after the game, which I want to touch on. But let's focus on positives that came out the game. The first one was definitely the Ings goal. And it was just lovely to see him knock that in. If there was somebody to score that goal or score a goal during the game, you just wished it was Danny Ings just because he spent so much time out. He's been so positive in his recovery. He seems genuinely decent chap. You know, he just seems like a nice guy to have around the squad in terms of levity and, uh, and, and positivity, really. So when he knocked that in, it was, it wasn't just the cap on a, on a really good flowing Liverpool move, but it was just a little bit something extra as well. Yeah. And I think it, it was also, you could sort of see he, he was going to push every single person out of the way to, to get that effort on, on target. So, um, <laughs> yeah, it, it, it was a very, very nice moment, especially for him. I mean, with all the injuries that he's, he's had. And you can even see he's one of those players that's, I think, if you look at the squad, he, I think he's actually quite influential in the squad in terms of the social groups within the squad. He's, you know, he's sort of one of the lighthearted guys. He's always in and around when people are, you know, having jokes. And if you look on, you know, a lot of the social media of the players, he's featured quite heavily on that. So off the pitch, he, he, he's quite key for, for the squad. And you could see with the way that everyone celebrated that goal, um, talking about the fans and the, the players on the pitch, even Klopp himself, you could see sort of that, that weight was lifted off, off, off of everyone. Like, yes, he's, he's finally got it. You know, now he can kick on. And look, we, we, unfortunately for him, um, not many people remember the player he was when, when we signed him. You know what I mean? It, his, his sort of reputation has been quite mm. um, tarnished or tampered down because no one's seen enough of him in, you know, and it's um, recently biased. So all we see is just an injury prone player, but um, he was that sort of Fox in the box, you know, poacher striker that he can nick a goal, you know, and, 
And he looks like the type of player, you know, after that first one, once he's, you know, obviously he had a chance later on in the game. I'm, I'm sure maybe we'll, we'll get onto that. But um, once he gets into a, a goal-scoring rhythm, I think he could actually be quite quite a useful player again. But as Justin was saying earlier, I don't think Liverpool can afford him that that time that he needs to get back into his rhythm. So he might be one of those players where if you're saying, okay, we, we might want him back at some point in time, then maybe loaning him out. But I think the risk for him is if he gets loaned out, um, the club might just um, develop beyond him. You know what I mean? He he could actually miss out on on the development, and you can see that with, uh, for example, with Lalana, the development that our team made um, between you know preseason when Lalana got injured to sort of uh, when Lala, when Lalana came back, you know, towards you know this end of the this end of the season, you could see he was sort of like he was about two three steps behind you know, everyone else in the team, whether it was fitness, whether it was the speed at which we were wanting to play the ball, move the ball. So there is that risk in that you can get left behind with, with the team that's growing and with the trajectory that we have. Yeah, that's interesting. That's interesting. It'd be interesting to see what we do. Because there's a couple of people in the squad who are sort of, what can we say, like they're in danger of of the squad either moving beyond them or just not being enough quality or not being exactly what we need going forward. So we'll see what Jurgen Klopp has in mind. This is going to be a really interesting transfer window, and um, certainly, uh, as all our transfer windows are, the most important transfer window <laughs> since whenever, whenever. But <laughs> one person who's not in danger of that, Justin, is Mohamed Salah, who capped off a really nice second goal. I mean, his composure is just something different. He just seems to have the ability to create an incredible amount of space, really, given his position, the, the calmness that he has, the positioning, and his awareness of what's around him is ridiculous at times. I, I also, I think we should mention Oxley chamberlain who has been a bright star from the season, and it looks like he's just getting brighter and brighter and brighter. He tilted the game when he came on just enough for our forwards to be able to take the game away from West Brom for that time. But that second goal, that you know, Salah, just the way he takes it, he just seems to have enough there, even for next season. What do you think about that? Where do you think he's going to end up? Uh, this well, I think that he, I think he's going to break the. He's got three games. He's going to score in the next three games, so he's going to break the uh, the Premier League's uh, thirty eight game record, um, which is going to be fantastic. Um, and I think that, I mean, I think he, I think he's got a chance at at Ian Rush. I mean, it all depends whether or not we get to a to a European final, uh, and how and how open the legs are against Roma, but. Is at 41 now. We probably have, we have at minimum of five games to play. So it, he's got a shot if he keeps up a goal, a, a goal a game or thereabouts ratio to, you know, put some pressure on Ian Rush's single season Liverpool goal scoring record, which also came in at a point in time where teams played a lot more games. Now, um, the goal yesterday was fantastic. Um, really impressed that Harry Kane ended up in the right spot to finish that. Um, <laughs> no, I mean, it's just it's it's a it's a great chip it's a great chip finish. He makes Brett Ben Foster make the first move, and it's just what you want. It's it's what you it's what yeah. you're told to do and taught to do as a if, when you're playing forward as a kid is wait for the keeper to commit, and then once he makes your his move, you place around where he's given you. And yeah, it's almost like he's making people. Yeah, he he just has he has he complete wants. command, and he's just he's seeing things and doing things faster than everybody else, uh, which. When you're, when you're, when the game slows down for you at that pace, 
you're completely and totally unplayable. And right now he's completely and totally unplayable. Uh, if, if we, if we do what I'd like us to do in Europe or what all of us want to see happen in Europe and he does not win the Ballon d'Or, um, just, just, just disband FIFA's award ceremonies. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> And in terms of next season, Justin, you, you know, you're happy. You, a lot of people will look at it and say it's a purple patch. But if, if we look at his form from Roma, for example, maybe not as prolific, but certainly as important to Roma when he was there, involved in many, many um, instances of, you know, assists and goals and stuff like that. Are you happy that he's going to continue at this level of at least being in and around the conversation about being one of the most important people to a, a a top four team. Hopefully, I do. I think that he's um, I think he's found form, and he's. I think uh, you know, I think he's. Found, I shouldn't say found form. I think he's starting to hit his prime, and this is an impressive prime. Uh, it's, he's an impressive player. Um, I mean, I, I don't want to say that he's not going to continue going in the same direction he is, because aside from being as good as he is, he's also just so incredibly likable that all I want to do is sit there and root, and root for him. Like he's a player you want to root for. There's <laughs> exactly. There's nothing like. There's no dirtiness to his game. He's a nice person. He seems extremely conscientious. Uh, seems seems to be like take up a takes takes his role in the community seriously. Um, takes his role, you know, a hero at a hero where he's from for doing, you know, many charitable works. I and mean, what's not to like about this guy? And I, I'm a, I'm a fan, and I think that he will continue to. I think he's going to continue to thrive because I just I just don't see how someone with his skill set and his ability can't. Yeah, yeah. I, 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 I mean, I can't wait. Especially, like today, we said we're getting Nabi in, maybe a couple more midfield options, and having a couple more options in terms of unleashing him and seeing what he can do with that is going to be really, really exciting. But let's move on to the penalty decision. Well, not the penalty, the the refereeing decisions to do it. And there were a couple. I, I think in particular, we can talk about that penalty decision. We can talk about Hagazi and what the actual hell he was doing, and also just the insistence from the ref on, on handing West Brom so many free kicks. The later and corners, the later we got in, in, oh, into the game. Oh my goodness gracious me! Yeah. Um, uh, one thing for sure, though, I, I am happy that um, Dr. Felix, um, who refed us against Man City, he's he's been named the ref for the Roma game. So at least we, you know, we have a decent ref ref for that game because oh the premier league refereeing is it's 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 not great at the moment it really isn't and if you if you if you look at the way that west brom played in terms of a very physical game um you could see they were kicking our players quite a bit you know obviously there's the punch that we'll talk about later um i don't blame them for playing like that because sort of that's their equalizer, you know, um, not water the pitch, make it really physical, you know, long balls. That's how mm-hmm. they can, you know, uh, circumvent the, the technical ability that our team would have. But the onus is then on the referee to sort of set the standard that, okay, this is allowed, this is not allowed. And you could see from early on, you know, how long did it take for the ref to give a card out? It was, I think, Moreno later on in the game who got a card, you know, which I thought was a bit harsh as well anyway. But um, so he he set the standard to to sort of say, you know what, this this um, this rugged football is allowed. So I, I don't blame the West Brom player. They were probably surprised in the sense of, okay, he's allowing us to do this. So, you know, they, they could get, they, they could, <laughs> you know, increase sort of the physicality because 
well, the rep wasn't going to do anything about it, so we might as well just carry on going or, or increase it. Um, um, so, yeah, so I don't blame West Brom for playing like that. That, you know, they, they found a way and they, they utilized it on the ref to, to sort of cut that out. Um, and also in that, I'm not saying that refs have to favor sort of like, let's say top four teams or, you know, the bigger clubs or, for example, Liverpool that have a Champions League game on Tuesday. But if you look, if you look at it, 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 it stems from the whole narrative of we never do any of our teams any favors going into Europe. Um, if you look at how physical that game was, I'm not saying the ref should obviously be, you know, um, refing the game in favor of, of Liverpool, but there's certain, some of those fouls that he was led, you know, or some of those tackles that he was letting go, they, they were, you know, those, those were, those were not on. I, I think, I think, yeah, I think on that it would be, it would be nicer to have, a standard that's a little more in tune with what the European standard is. Not not incompletely, because I think that sometimes that does irritate me a little bit. Like every foul is sort of called, and sometimes you you do want the game to flow because you know players can go down really easily. So I'm not saying lose the Englishness, which yeah. is what I think people are going to be worried about in that respect. But just just to have some you know more more congruent level to what's happening there, because. It, what we have now is a standard by standard that's going game by game. So it's not like you get a referee that's like, he comes to all games and says, I'm going to really try and let this flow. He looks at the situation and then decides what's going to go on. I think yeah, that's so really they're, they're playing the situation instead of playing the letter of the law, so to speak. Um, and even, yeah. even if you, if you stem from that a little bit more in terms of favoring the teams that are going far in Europe, for example, Real Madrid played their last game. I think it was last week, Tuesday. Um, like their schedule got sort of moved around to accommodate the fact that they're in, you know, the semifinals of the Champions League. Is that ever going to happen in England? Uh, I don't know. I don't think a lot of the managers have complained about that. But anyway, um, going back to the referee, um, in terms of the penalty, the penalty shot, it, it, it's a foul. Like <laughs> it, I don't understand how you can't not see that as a foul. And I'm not just blaming the referee. I'm blaming the, the, the linesman as well. Like, what what is he doing? He can look across the line, see that someone's been taken out. You know, I think it was it Macaulay or some or Dawson that yeah Dawson, Dawson yeah, stepped across Dawson Danny stepped across, and yeah. you know uh, took it took him down in the box. And I think, especially in Liverpool games, well, especially when it comes to Liverpool claiming penalties and stuff, I'm getting the impression that a lot of the refs are are saying, look, I'd rather not give it. And it have been a penalty, then, then give it and it wasn't a penalty. Cause they seem to get more backlash for when they give a penalty, but it wasn't a penalty opposed to, you know, when, when they don't give penalties. So I think some of the referees are just, they're too scared to make a decision. So I'll just rather not make the decision. You know what I mean? Hmm. Hmm. Yeah. No, I think, I think that's a good point. I, I just, you know, we can't, it just feels really silly to be complaining about referee decisions. And again, like Justin said, it's not about the referee decisions as such. I think we were our worst enemies, particularly if you look at the collective defending for that second goal that, that, that we conceded, you know. It's just like, what is going on? I mean, Justin, what do you think about that? Because we also had a, an issue with the Gomez foul for the second goal. Now, I think... I think for that particular passage of play, young Gomez just had a complete concentration breakdown. I don't know if it was fatigue, like I said earlier, or whatever, but 
he tries this weird flick and it doesn't work. He loses the ball. He goes back. And then I don't even know if it was clumsy. But then Henderson also comes and just ushers. Uh, I forget who the player was from the Albion player, but he just sort of ushers him away from the ball. And I didn't know what was happening sort of there. But this, discounting the fact that it wasn't great play from Gomez, do you think that was a foul? I mean, because what we have here is a two-goal swing in essence. We have a lack of a penalty. We have the red card that wasn't given. And then we have this sort of foul call, which makes it important what this decision was because you, you have a gold swing in, in either direction. So, I mean, what did you think about the ref and in particular the... the I'm, go, I'm going to call it the Gomez foul because I'm not sure if he awarded that for the Henderson foul or the Gomez no, foul. He was that poor. Incident I mean, you can't miss, as many, you can't miss those, that many calls and have it be any other way. First off, you have to send a player off for punching someone in the stomach. Don't care how hard he is punched. Punch a player in the stomach. You can't do that. The Premier League needs to... and. and the Premier League needs to look at it, and they need to retroactively assess it. But the idea is, if they're down to, t- if West Brom's down to ten men, that game ends up a talking, and it's probably, and we're, or at the very least, just ends two 0 We're not talking about this because West Brom aren't probably their heads go at that point. And you need, and you need, and you need to send the player off. You can't do that. You can't punch someone in the stomach. We've seen it enough with Marijuan Fellaini getting away with elbows where he clearly intended it and didn't, uh, and and nothing was called, nothing given. At this point, this one, it's very clear his intent was to punch Danny Yang's in the stomach because he punched Danny Yang's in the stomach. I can't think of any other way of balling your fist and throwing it mm. into someone besides calling it an intentional punch. But uh, that was bad, and the fact is he didn't see that. Um, I thought earlier there's a against Rondon. Um, Rondon wildly skies and, and misses uh, on a ball early in the game, and then within a second takes another swing, basically with his foot, catches him, Referee brings Rondon away and lectures him. You have to give a card in that situation. You're right there. You've seen it. You've seen that there's no attempt to play the ball. It just effectively, mm-hmm. I think, that the Premier League referees uh, don't want to have themselves be the story in games. And in doing that, they often make themselves have to end up being the story in games. Mm-hmm. But I think it's the way... The public is allowed to engage with this the way managers are allowed to engage. You saw Jurgen Klopp afterwards, and we can talk about that now. He was so pissed. He was so pissed at the refereeing decisions. But we've seen this a lot this season. Managers just look at, you know, I know you want me to say something about it. There's nothing I could say that would change the situation. If I could change the situation and get a fine, that would be okay. You know, I, I would take that. But as it is, there's no point in saying anything. You ju- we just have bad refereeing standards in the country, and everybody seems to know it. No one seems to want to do anything about it. And speaking of that, I'll, I'll, I'll let you both go on this, but today I'll let you go first. But the post-match interview from Klopp, he mentioned a lot of stuff. As you said earlier, the dry pitch and the fact that... that uh, I, I probably shouldn't be laughing at that, but it was kind of funny... Um, the tribal me is laughing at it, but he, he was basically like West Brom can play with their dry pitch in the championship, which was so salty and so spicy. It was, it was different level entirely. But he was talking about, he was talking about the referee and the decisions he made and the bunch of fouls that he gave. He knew what West Brom were doing and he still allowed it to happen. It, it, it hinted at the anger that, do you, do you think he was, the commentary that I had, which was a sky commentary, uh, uh, a couple of guys on there, they were saying it, it wasn't, it, it was more that Klopp was irritated that we lost a two goal lead and, and the manner in which we lost that. Um, would you agree with that or do you think he was sort of genuinely, genuinely just irritated? Um, I think if you look at his demeanor after the final whistle, sort of when he was walking around giving the, the handshakes and clapping, he was very, very pissed off with the players, you know, for 
you know, you should be you should be seeing out a two 0 lead. But also, I think uh, one thing we 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 haven't mentioned yet, and we need to take into account, is the fact that yes, we were two 0 up, but you're playing a team that needs to win every single game to stay up. You know what I mean? So whether they were two 0 up, I mean two 0 down, three 0 down, four 0 down their fans were expecting them to sort of go down fighting, you know what I mean? So they were always going to power that pressure. Mm. And then you take that into consideration versus our team, who's 2-0 up, heading into a Champions League uh, semi-final. They're now definitely going to take their foot off the gas because, you know, they're 2-0 up. Um, They don't want to get injured. They want to save themselves for that game. So it sort of was like the perfect storm for West Brom in that, as soon as they got, then once they get that first goal, sort of the momentum shifts and it's very hard to then now try and switch it back on again, you know, um, even though we weren't that great um, throughout the whole game, but sort of to try and kick on another gear, it, it's very hard to start that. And then they've got the crowd, you know, they've got the momentum. So that also plays, plays a factor into it. Um, in terms of Klopp, I think he was trying to say as he was trying to, you know, say as much as he could say without getting a fine, so to speak. Um, and, and as we've mentioned, <laughs> yep. reg- it doesn't matter what he says. It doesn't matter. Like, I couldn't care less if Hagazi gets a three-match ban now because it doesn't help us. Like, I, d- I don't know how that can one day be addressed. Maybe if VAR was coming in uh, next season, obviously everyone's... Side note, on that point of VAR, because... Um, Obviously, the Premier League teams have voted not to bring it in next season. And there were a few teams that, um, I know Arsenal, um, Arsenal were very keen on VAR coming in. Um, I can't remember the other two teams. There were three teams that were sort of championing VAR to come in. I know Crystal Palace's, is, is it their chairman or their owner? He was very against it. Um, and then quite a lot of the other clubs sort of abstained from the vote. So, it didn't get enough votes. In my opinion, um, every single um, every single post match interview where there's been a dodgy refereeing decision or refereeing display, I think they should give every manager a list. And then on one side they're going to have the clubs that voted for VAR. On the other side they're going to have the clubs that didn't vote for VAR. If you're on the clubs that didn't vote for VAR, you can't complain about the decisions. Because, like, it's something that could have addressed this thing. You know what I mean? Sort of looking at it a comical way. Mm, but, mm. um, yeah, oh, man, I think, I think Klopp was just frustrated in that this, if we got these three points in, in this game, especially having had those three points, you know, it, in our, in our grasp, um, the outlay of the rest of the season was so different to, to what it's going to be now. Um, he's not just looking at one game, um, as, as I was, as I was saying earlier. Um, this now affects heavily the Stoke game, which it shouldn't have. You know, having been 2 not up, he's probably thinking, okay, perfect. Now that, now I can focus really on Roma at home and Roma away. That Stoke game, look, if we win it, awesome. If we draw, it's not a bad thing. You know, um, it, uh, we've got a good record at Anfield. So losing to Stoke, it, it could happen, but it wasn't likely. You know what I mean? He could, he had a freebie there. And then to have that taken away from you, um, is really, really what I think is, is what has pissed him off quite, quite a lot. Justin, I'll ask you in a slightly different way. Do you think his comments were a little bit offside, especially the, 
you can you can play on your dry pitch in the championship. It, it sort of felt a bit like kicking some. I thought it was um, I thought it was kind of funny, but uh, I think it was I think it was more just to try to find a way to not throw our players under the bus. I, I don't think I don't think I th- he was he looked like he was yeah. going to kill one of our players at, yeah. at, at full time. I think that that was more just to make sure that he just wasn't going to kill him to the press. I'm pretty sure Klopp has said some nasty things to some guys on our team, but he just doesn't say him outwardly to the press, which I prefer because I don't like a manager who throws a team under the bus. But uh, yeah, that's that's, sure, that's, that's sure. really yeah, what I thought it was. I, I, don't, I don't think he was trying to show up the referees at all because at this point, I think he's got a bone to pick with the referees, and I think almost everybody and I think almost every manager in the league has a bone to pick with the referees. Whether or not they you benefited from it, they all feel aggrieved mm-hmm. in some way. The only one who has no right to feeling aggrieved in any way is uh, a certain cunt who wears a shit coat and lives in Manchester. Uh, but uh, it's just it, it's a it's a crap standard of refereeing. There's no consistency, and there's no and they don't follow the rule book. Yeah. All right. Well, that's a good note to end it on here, guys. Thank you so much for joining us. I'll I'll let you guys do some plugs. Um, Tadi, were you involved in anything? Um, no, not at the moment. Um, I think in, in terms of plugs, you've caught me a bit off guard there. So <laughs> maybe you can go to Justin and then uh, let me come. You can come back. All right. All right. Let me send it yeah, over. So to I've Justin. done Justin, the, um, Anfield index, uh, Champions League preview show hosted by Andy Wales. I was, uh, one of his guests yesterday. Did it with a, uh, a Roma fan who had some really good insight on, uh, how Roma play and, uh, the, the nature of the tie. I expect it to be a good one because the teams are both quite good. Plus, I mean, it's a Champions League semifinal. And then I'll probably be on the return leg of that, but I'll probably be on the return leg, uh, pod as well. Um, which is going to be recorded after the, uh, the leg on Tuesday. So, uh, if you, if you want to hear my thoughts on the Champions League semifinal, um, well, you're already listening to uh, one Anfield Index podcast right now on this, so uh, just find the other one. Yep, yep, yep. Awesome. Tadiwa, you about ready? Yeah, 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 definitely. Because I'd, I'd, I'd like to do sort of a podcast of the All week right. um, for my for for, for my um, for my sort of shout out. Um, so I was just going back just to look at the title of it, and it was the AI Writers podcast with um they were discussing Ox and Genie and what what their roles are so to speak um i think it was Leon Prescott Tom Holmes uh Sam Evans was on there and uh, i think it was Joseph Norton um and it it's quite interesting with regards to both those players they um they sort of have hybrid roles in our team and and they can fulfill so many of the the different roles in our team and to see sort of trying to iron out what exactly their roles are, where they're best suited, and if they have a future in those roles, for example, like uh, Gini Wijnaldum, can he fulfill that number six role? If so, um, would he be happy being an understudy to a new number six coming in? Or like basically looking at those two players and how they fit in going into next season. And I, I thought that was quite an interesting take on two players that um, they've got the potential to do well and also but also could they uh, can they keep up with uh what we're trying to do with the squad nice yeah it's always a good pod there we've had tom on here a couple of times earlier and as well so do check that out um yeah it focus turns on to roma it is all about the champions league going forward from this point but we will definitely have a post stoke 
game review after that. We'll probably just uh, approach it in a lot the same manner as, as this one. And maybe it will give us a chance to just look at, again at some of the options in the squad and what we've got going on, what we need to do for next season. But we will discuss that when we get to it. Thanks so much for joining in. Thanks, a huge thanks to my panel. And uh, tune in as always next week when we do Stoke. Until then, take care of yourselves. Bye-bye. Let's get ready to rumble! Y'all ready for this? Sports Social Podcast Network.